Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to the Gospel according to Mark. Mark chapter 5, and this morning uh, we're coming to verse 21. If you're using the church Bibles, you'll find this on page 840. Mark chapter 5 at verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, uh, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments... I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. We have been following uh, Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Mark, and in these early chapters we have been noting how uh, Jesus' ministry was taken up in the region of Galilee. And you remember that it was in Capernaum, uh, specifically where we're told that many miracles Jesus performed. But the effect of that 
was is that Jesus's fame was spreading throughout the whole of the region of Galilee. Jesus, by healing these people, was drawing greater and greater crowds. And then you remember in Mark chapter 4 that Jesus had been teaching along uh, the side of the sea, along the side of the Lake of Galilee, and then he instructed his disciples to go into the other side, uh, to cross over to the west side uh, towards uh, the Gadarenes, uh, uh, or sorry, crossing over the lake uh, to the region of the Gadarenes. And when they did that, they encountered a storm, but Jesus displayed his power and authority over that storm, uh, leaving the disciples amazed, thinking, what kind of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? But when Jesus came over to that other side of the Lake of Galilee, he was coming into a land that was predominantly Gentile. And when he came there, he was met by a man who was demon-possessed. And you remember he... Uh, when uh, Jesus spoke uh, to the demon, the demon said, uh, my name is Legion, meaning many, the largest Roman army uh, unit, uh, describing the, the largeness of the demonic possession in this man. But Jesus healed the man. He cast out the many, the legion of demons uh, from this man. And the demons were sent into a herd of pigs and then the pigs were ultimately destroyed uh, by going in the, the water. When the people heard this news, when they saw what had happened, it tells us the people looked at the man that they knew and saw the great change in him. And then they begged Jesus to go away. They begged Jesus to leave, having seen the change that had taken place in this man. He was now sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind, but now they wanted nothing to do with Jesus because the coming of Jesus had brought disruption and was bringing to the forefront things that they would rather not have to deal with. And so rather than deal with them, they simply asked Jesus to leave. And Mark is now picking up with what happens afterwards. It tells us that Jesus crossed again the lake and comes back to the land of the region of Galilee, where it is predominantly of the Israeli or the Jewish faith. And now we are told that, again, this crowd of people is waiting for Jesus because that spreading of the report, the fame of Jesus, uh, has drawn people expectantly looking for him. And when Jesus comes back to this side of the lake of Galilee, uh, we are told that there was one of the rulers of the synagogue that came to Jesus. And this morning, we want to look at these two miracles uh, that Jesus performs on Jairus' or Jairus's daughter and on this woman who had the discharge of blood. And what we want to see is, is that in both of these miracles, Jesus is showing that there is help for the helpless. And because of that, we are to trust in him. Jesus is the hope and the help that we all desperately need. And we want to see that both in terms of the desperation of these situations, as well as in the declaration that Jesus gives to these people in those situations. Well, first, we have the desperate situations themselves. It tells us there that in verse 22, uh, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, uh, by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. The synagogue, as many of you know, is, was the meeting place for the religious community. 
the synagogue was something that was designed at some point as a meeting place. And it was a meeting place for people to come together for the purpose of prayer and for the purpose of hearing and reading the law of God. It was teaching the people the faith uh, throughout uh, the community or throughout the land. But these synagogues, these meeting places, were not just uh, uh, unorganized gatherings. They had governance. They had oversight to them. They had people who were watching out for both the worship, uh, the teaching that was being given, as well as the way that uh, uh, the the liturgy was uh, functioning. And so Jairus here is one of those overseers. He's one of those governors, or as it says here, he's one of those rulers of the meeting place, one of the rulers of the synagogue. So this is a man of influence. He's a man uh, of, uh, of high standing. He was a man that would have been respected in the community. But he comes running up to Jesus and falls at his feet, begging Jesus uh, to act. And the reason is, is because of the desperate situation that he's in. And his situation is expressed with all the emotion that you would expect. He pleads with Jesus to come with him. Why? Because my little daughter is at the point of death. My little daughter is the language of affection, isn't it? This is a child he loves, and she's at the point of death. In other words, there is no time to spare. That he has heard that Jesus is able to heal. Perhaps this is even the ruler in Capernaum. And he has perhaps even witnessed some of the healings of Jesus. But whatever it is, he has heard the reports and he knows something of Jesus' ability. And so because of his desperation, he comes to Jesus saying, come because this is the last chance. It's a desperate situation because his daughter is at the point of death. But it's not the only desperate situation in the crowd. As Jesus comes back over to this side of the lake, he's going to meet with another person who's also in a desperate situation. And we're introduced to her uh, in verses 25 and following. It tells us uh, that the crowd followed him. So Jesus agrees to go with Jairus. He's following Jairus back to his home. But the crowd is also moving along with him. This, this uh, mass of people are all hurting themselves in the direction of Jairus and following his lead. But in the midst of that crowd is this woman, uh, a woman who is also in a desperate situation. And she comes uh, to Jesus also in her need. And we're told several things about this woman before we're even told about what she did or why she approached Jesus. We're told something of her misery. It tells us there, for instance, uh, that first she was a woman who had a discharge, a flow of blood uh, for 12 years. The, the woman was continuously hemorrhaging, uh, and this condition would have been physically debilitating. Uh, but not only was she physically suffering from this condition, but this condition would have also had social and religious connotations wrapped up in it as well. She was physically in pain, but according to the Old Testament law, she was also ceremonially unclean. The, the Old Testament actually has a lot to say about the flow of blood and about uh, um, what happens to the human body and when men and women are clean or unclean in the Old Covenant era. And according to the condition that is being described here, this woman is unclean. 
uh, as a result of this flow of blood. And as a result, she would have been cut off from the community for the duration of the time that this condition exists. And so socially, she would have been prevented, and religiously, she would have been prevented from participating in the worship. She would have been prevented from gathering with and even coming in contact with other people. Because as Leviticus 22 highlights, anyone who comes in contact with the unclean becomes unclean themselves too. So this would have been not just a physically miserable situation, but this is also a religiously miserable situation because she is being cut off. She is being denied the opportunity of gathering with others and she is being isolated even from others as a result of her physically debilitating condition. And so this condition, as long as it endures, keeps her unclean. The Old Testament would say that after seven days, she could be declared clean after the flow of blood stops. But if the flow is enduring, then it continues. And here this woman's condition has been going on like this for 12 years. So it is a miserable, a desperate situation on all those fronts. But we're also told about her condition in other ways. We are told that she suffered much under many physicians. She had gone from doctor to doctor looking for relief and none have been able to ease or to bring healing to her condition. As a result, she has lost uh, so much financially. She invested, she used her wealth to try and ameliorate, to improve her condition, and it hasn't worked. And so her, her suffering is, is spreading into every area of her life. Even financially now, she is suffering uh, as a result of this condition. And it tells us that she was no better, but she actually had grown worse. She was actually deteriorating as a result of this condition. And so you can see that she too was in a desperate situation. One that left her in a helpless state of pain, but also one that left her uh, deprived or isolated from the, the community at large. So as we look at Jesus's movement, he's encountering with people. There's a great crowd of people that are looking for Jesus. And the reason is, is because there's this expectancy about Jesus, but also there's an understanding of our own needs. Jairus or Jairus comes to Jesus because he's desperate. His little daughter is going to die, but he knows something about Jesus. And this woman is in a desperate situation because of her physical pain and because of this, the uncleanness that it conveys. But she also comes to Jesus expectantly. There's a decision that she makes. And so we're told in verse 27 that she decided to approach Jesus and she wanted to just simply touch the garments that he was wearing because by touching them, she would be made well. We're not really told the rationale for why she's thinking this, whether it's a mixture of superstition or whether she has some clarity of thought about Jesus uh, representing the very altar of God. Uh, we're not exactly told why she's thinking this. But she has this thought that if she simply touches his garment, she would be made well. But she had done this, uh, made this decision because of what she had heard about Jesus. She had heard all the reports about him. And so she came on that basis. She knew Jesus had the ability to heal. She knew that her condition was desperate. 
No other sources were helping her, and she needed to look to Jesus. And so she not only had a knowledge about Jesus, but it led to action. It compelled her to come to Jesus. And so she came up uh, from behind uh, to touch him. And we shouldn't be surprised here that she does come up secretly because she would have been feared of being found out. Uh, she is an unclean woman. And uh, so she simply tries to come up from behind to get the blessing with, uh, without notice, incognito. Uh, and so she has this decision made up. But she has not only made the decision to come and to touch Jesus, but she has this uh, uh, trust that simply by touching him, she would be made well, as it says in verse 28, which is the same word there for saved. If I just touch him, I'll be saved. And so she has all of this thought out and she acts uh, as a result. Immediately we are told that the flow of blood dried up and she knew that she had been healed from her physical misery. So there's a desperate situation, both of Jairus with his daughter, but also of this woman. And this woman turns to Jesus in her desperation, believing that he is able to heal if she is simply able to touch his garments. But we're told something about a declaration that Jesus makes in response to both of these situations. In verse 30, we're told that Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? The disciples think this is a ridiculous question. There's a mass of people surrounding you, Jesus. The crowds are pressing in on you. Of course, someone's going to bump you, Jesus. Why are you asking who touched you? But you notice there, even in the language of verse 32, uh, that Jesus here is interested in who it is that actually touched him. It says, and he looked around to see who had done it. In other words, this isn't a passing question of who bumped me. But rather, when Jesus asks this question, it's an enduring question. Because it says he was literally and he was looking around. There's a search that Jesus is going on right here with as his eyes scan the crowd to see which person it was that actually touched him. And it's almost becoming something of an awkward standstill because as Jairus is trying to lead this uh, Jesus back to his house, Jesus is now pressed with a question of who just touched him. And the crowd, as it were, is coming to a standstill as Jesus is trying to figure out who just bumped into him. And it's in that situation that the woman seems to be overcome by the question, or at least overcome by the realization that she has been healed without actually approaching Jesus herself. And so with fear and trembling, she comes up to Jesus and she tells him the whole matter. She tells him the whole truth. She explains to him what she was doing. Now ask yourself, why did Jesus ask that question? Why does Jesus want to know who touched him? Is it so that Jesus can scold this woman who dared to try to sneak a blessing for herself? Is it in order to rebuke this woman who is unclean and thought she should come and touch his garments? Jesus explains why he asked the question. When he asks the question and the woman comes up and tells him the whole truth, he says to her what? 
daughter. This woman who has been separated of her uncleanness, who has been isolated from the religious community, a woman who has been suffering not only physically, but in every way because of her desperate condition, is addressed here with the affection, the same affection that Jairus used of his own daughter. My little daughter is dying. And now Jesus uses that language to refer to this woman who came to him. Because what this woman desperately needs is not just the physical healing of her misery, but that she needs to know that the source of blessing is ultimately in knowing the Lord Jesus herself. To know that salvation comes in and through him. And that by trusting in Christ, by identifying with him in faith, she can be made well. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your misery. Why did Jesus ask the question? So that the woman would see the need of the favor of God being pronounced on her. So that she would not be content with simply the physical amelioration of her body. So that she wouldn't be content with just, I don't feel the pain anymore. But so that she would see the importance of trusting in Jesus. The importance of being connected to Jesus for salvation. Go in peace. God's blessing is upon you on account of your faith in me. And so the question is really bringing to the forefront the importance of faith. It's, it's who you're trusting in that is vitally important. And this woman couldn't deny her, her desperate situation, but what she needed was to act on what she knew about Jesus. And so Jesus here uh, uh, affirms and uh, declares to her uh, the blessing and approval of coming to him. And so uh, Jesus makes this, this statement. Jesus wanted her not only to be physically healed, but to impress on her that salvation is found through trusting in him. What does all of this have to do with us? Well, we just read from Isaiah 64. And what did Isaiah 64 say? We have all become like one who is unclean. Unclean, just like the woman was unclean. All our righteous deeds are like filthy rags or polluted garments. And the language that Isaiah is using is referencing the condition that this woman is enduring. Isaiah is trying to identify us with what this woman is being described as here in Mark's gospel. And so we are being identified with this woman's condition. Just as this woman was in a condition of misery, she knew her desperation. But she also knew enough about Jesus to act and to apply that knowledge to come to him. She knew that she needed to be made well. And she knew that Jesus was the only one that could do it. And so in that sense, we see that it is by identifying with Christ that we can be healed of our own sinful and unclean condition. Through the instrumentality of faith, by trusting in Jesus, uh, we can be assured of God's peace. So there is this declaration of Jesus to the woman. Daughter, your faith has made you well. 
Go in peace and be healed of your disease. But there's also a declaration that Jesus makes in the other desperate situation to Jairus. It tells us in verse 35 that while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? You notice there in verse 36 it says, But overhearing what was being said. Sometimes we overhear things that aren't really meant for us. Maybe you're in the car and mom and dad are driving and they're chatting and maybe what they're talking about is really for one another. But kids might overhear what is being said and they are part of a conversation that wasn't really intended for them. But the word here that is used for overhearing, is it's a broad word and it can have different connotations. Sometimes it has the idea of hearing something that wasn't really intended for you. And that's true here, isn't it? The message was really for Jairus. But the word can also have the idea of ignoring or paying no attention to it. In other words, overriding it. A message is stated and Jesus says, never mind that. Don't be absorbed by that, but rather listen to this. And so Jairus, uh, Jesus turns to Jairus and tells him, do not fear, only believe. What does it mean for Jairus to believe in this situation? His daughter is dead. That seems pretty hopeless. But Jesus tells Jairus to believe. And the woman here is a picture of faith at work. What did the woman do? She had a certain understanding of Jesus. She knew. She heard the reports. She knew that he had the ability to heal. Jairus knew that as well. That's why Jairus came to Jesus in the first place. He had a certain understanding of Jesus. And so faith, saving faith, is about what you know about Jesus. But it also involves applying that faith in the situation that you're confronted with. To be able to look at this situation knowing not just what the situation tells you, but to know what it tells you in light of the knowledge of Christ. And so Jesus is impressing upon him that in spite of his barriers, he still needs to be looking to Christ and to trust that Jesus is able to help even in situations that appear to be helpless. That's what it looks like to have faith, not to be governed by fear. And so Jesus takes some of his disciples and he takes the parents into the room. And it tells us that after he, uh, before that, he tells uh, the people that uh, the daughter is not dead, but sleeping. Not that Jesus is actually denying that she's dead, but really it's just that she's temporarily dead and that he plans to bring her back to life. But these professional mourners who are there see the reality of the situation. There's nothing plainer than that this little girl is dead. And so they laughed or they ridiculed at Jesus because who's going to deny the reality of this death? But Jesus, after removing them, takes his circle of witnesses into the room, takes the little girl by the hand, and says to her, Talitha Kumi, which again means daughter, arise. Lamb, arise. That Jesus comes in contact with one who is unclean, 
But the effect of it is, is that one who is in a hopeless situation is brought back to life. And by the power of his word, she has life again. She stands up to walk. And she's being given food so that she regains her strength. All of it on account of the identifying with and being in contact with Jesus. The girl was dead. But she came to life through contact with the source of life. And the source of life brings new life. He brought new life to the woman who is in a a state of misery. But he also brings new life to this little girl who was dead in her sins. And now she's alive again. And in the same way, God brings new life to all who trust in him. That all of us are as unclean people. All of us are in a hopeless situation, a helpless situation. We can't make ourselves clean. We can't make ourselves right with God. And yet the source of life came into this world to give life. And ultimately the fruit of his death and resurrection on the cross is is that through him we have life and eternally forevermore. That's the hope of Christianity. That instead of simply looking at the world by the situation that we're in, instead of being gripped by what we see in front of us, we live not by fear, but by faith. Because of what we know about Jesus. He is the source and giver of all life. He is Lord of this universe. He is governing all things. And so I apply that in my situation. And I am able to trust in him with what I'm faced with. Even when we are approaching our own death, it seems so hopeless. It seems like the end. And yet we know, if we know Jesus as the one who has been resurrected from the grave, then we can trust that he will bring us through death, even though we taste death ourselves. He will raise us up because we belong and are united to him. And so it all comes back to this idea of what do we know What does it mean to have faith? Do we know that our situation by nature is desperate? We are unclean like that woman. We are in a helpless state, dead in our sins. Do we understand who Jesus is as the one who makes us clean and the one who identifies with us in our uncleanness? That's why he died on a cross, to bear the sins of his people so that through him we might be made well. And if we understand that, then we are to respond by trusting in that ourselves. So our situation is desperate, but it's the declaration of Jesus that makes all the difference. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about these miracles, that we would see them not simply as uh, stories of the past or things that happened to other people, but we pray, Lord, that we would see them as illustrations and pointers of the reality of what we all stand in need of, the redemptive work of Christ, and to come into contact with the one who is the giver of life. Go before us now, we pray, and pardon us of our sins.